All right, folks, welcome to this week's episode of Roundabout Sports, presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media, where our passion is our profession. I'm the maestro, Jeremy Carpenter, alongside one of the craziest guys that thankfully is not the head of the umpiring association, Hollywood James Knox. That that might not be a bad job to have, though. I mean, yeah, but I know your outlandish opinions, and it may not go over well with some of the. At least I'm not C.B. Buckner. Yeah, well, C.B. Buckner, Bill Buckner, what's the difference? They, make <laughs> they, they both make bloopers. There you go. Oh, oh, so good evening, yeah. everybody. James, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Glad to be with awesome. you again. Yes, it's always a pleasure. And thank you for everybody who's tuning in, whether it be on the I-70 Sports uh, Facebook page and Twitter account on our official YouTube channel or on the Roundabout Sports Facebook page. We greatly appreciate it. Now, tonight... I mean, this might be, this is going to be big. We got Sadie Blaze on the show. And for those wondering who Sadie Blaze is, he's a member of the St. Louis Glass Hall of Fame. Uh, is a, like I said, softball Hall of Fame. He is a longtime professional wrestler. And on top of all of that, you know, James, we talk about our knowledge of sports, especially with baseball. Let me tell you something. I, I thought the collection of cards that I have was big. Sadie's is about 15, 20 times that. I don't know how the hell he gets around his house with the <laughs> vast collection that he has. And it's amazing that the knowledge he knows about the players he collects. And we're going to have one interesting – one. I mean, we're going to have multiple interesting discussions, but one in particular, and it's going to revolve around the Baseball Hall of Fame. But we have a couple pieces of breaking news to get to, and the first one is actually very, very breaking news, and that is Vanessa Bryant, the widow of the late, great Kobe Bryant, has been awarded $16 million in a trial over photos of the NBA star's body at the site of the 2020 helicopter crash that killed him. So for a little bit of background on this, um, they agreed with Vanessa Bryant, the nine jurors agreed with Vanessa Bryant and the attorneys that the deputies and firefighters that were taking and sharing pictures of the remains of Kobe and, you know, his 13-year-old daughter Gianna and everybody else at the crash site invaded their privacy and brought her and her family emotional distress. And this was about a four and a half hour deliberation reaching the verdict. Um, so first thing I want to ask you, James, what do you think about this verdict? Well, with all due respect to the late, great Kobe Bryant, I don't like it, nor do I agree with it. And here's why. Um, so to my knowledge, and I followed this pretty closely, especially right after it happened in January of 2020, uh, to my knowledge, the pictures that were taken at that crime scene did not become public. Now, so one, and here's a little bit of background. Okay. This is coming from somebody that does have an associates in criminal justice at any crime scene, whether it's a crash, whether it's a, a murder, a suicide, whatever it is, et cetera, et cetera. Pictures are taken because they have to document the, the crime scene. Okay. So the pictures were going to be taken anyway. All right. Now I, I understand that maybe they shouldn't have been passed around or shared, but you're talking about Kobe Bryant, 
and, and I know a celebrity, you know, whatever. Everybody wants to see, oh, my God, you know, I, you know, I'm sure it was the same when Marilyn Monroe was found or when Kurt Cobain was found, i.e. I, any celebrity. So maybe they shouldn't have been. And that's an ethical question. I don't think it's a $16 million award question. OK, so it says she says in the lawsuit against the Los Angeles County police or the, the sheriff or whatnot, that it caused them distress. Well, how does that cause them direct distress if they're not made public? If these pictures would have been made public, then I could certainly understand and agree with a $16 million award. But because they weren't and they were kept inside and all of that stuff is going to be sealed now, now that this this is over with, I just I don't feel that $16 million is is a necessary award. I, I just don't. You know, maybe maybe from her point and maybe from her, and I hate to say this, it's going to make me sound terrible, whatever. Maybe it's a money grab. I don't know. I hope that's not the case because I feel like this tarnishes her husband's legacy. Nonetheless, I, I don't agree with the, the the decision by the jurors to award her $16 million. And on top of that, I before we came on, I was looking on CNN and it said it could be upward in 30, upwards of $31 million. I don't know where the other 15 is coming from. The other 15 is coming from the other plaintiff. There were two plaintiffs involved in that, and from what I had read, and um, from what the Associated Press released was that there were two plaintiffs involved in this, um, and the other plaintiff being Chris Chester, who is whose wife and daughter were also among the nine people that were killed in the crash, and she was awarded, or I'm sorry, and he was awarded uh, fifteen okay. million dollars. So the, so the to- thirty-one so the- million was split between the two plaintiffs. Okay, so that's the total the payout then. All yeah, right, the total payout's thirty-one million, and Vanessa got sixteen, and Chris Chester got a uh, fifteen. But I, you know, the thing of it is, I understand where you're coming from. You know, it, it is the big thing for me is when I read her statement and how she fears that the picture she's gonna go, her daughters are gonna go on social media. And those pictures are going to be there. She's going to go, or or she's going to go on social media. But at the same time, the pictures were kept, despite them being taken, which legally is usually how it goes anyway. Um, the pictures were kept between, and I'm not condoning what the sheriffs and firefighters and them did, but I'm saying how it was still kept within a confined unit, you right. know, the most expansive, expansive it went was, um, in one case by a bartender at a bar where a deputy was drinking, but it wasn't sent to this bartender. It was just right. shown by the bartender or shown to him by the deputy who was drinking. Right. Um, so yeah, naturally I do feel that the officers and them should have been reprimanded. Do I feel that, Thirty-one million dollars needed to get involved in all this, not necessarily. Right. And I feel like it's something that dragged out a lot. Unfortunately, no amount of money will ever bring back those that have passed. And it was tragic, probably one of the most heartbreaking moments um, in in just sports in general. I mean, I'm still two years later, and I'm still shocked over it happening. Right. But. Yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't feel it's, that this is all it's the end of it. Let's put it that way. 
I, I agree. And, and it is, it's hard to look back and, and you want to look at what's really important here. Okay. The money is, you know, whatever it's punitive in, in terms of the damage that all of this has caused. You, you, you look back and it, you know, you're right. It, it can't, re, it, it's not going to replace Kobe. It's not going to bring back Gianna. Um, you know, I, I would like to think that the money that she won from this lawsuit, you know, maybe she donates it or, you know, puts it towards the Kobe, the Kobe Bryant foundation that he has, you know, I just, I, I just hate that one, you're right. Very much so drawn out Two, I feel like there's a part of it that tarnishes Kobe's legacy. Because when we think of Kobe now, the, the, the first thing we're going to think of is, is, is this crash in this, this trial and uh, this lawsuit. And, you know, it's just a bad situation altogether. And I I'm with you. Yeah. I remember, I, I remember the day it happened and, you know, just kind of feeling like you got kicked in the stomach, you know, but like I said, you know, I, isn't it funny that she ends up, so $31 million, obviously an odd number and 15, $16 million. It doesn't matter which way you cut it. It's a lot of money that she ends up with more money than the other family did. And of course he wasn't a, an NBA superstar that had made millions and millions of dollars, you know, while playing in his career. Um, it's just there are so many things to look at. It, it's it's a it's a bad situation, but I can the one thing I know we agree on is that it was definitely drawn out and it took too long to get to a to an end of it. And I hope this is the end of it for just all of its sake. You know, rest in peace, Kobe now and just let's let's move on. Right. I, I feel it's just outside the bounds of a reasonable set of settlement. I think thing. that's that's the best way to put it, Jeremy. That is the absolute best way that's to put it. Just the way it is. Um, So moving on now, there is also more, I guess you could say more sad news going on, and that is that the icon himself, perhaps one of the greatest players in Chiefs history, one of the greats of NFL history, and a pro football Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion, Len Dawson passed away today at the age of 87, and, you know, I just had to put, this is probably one of the more iconic photos of him and the legendary coach to late great Hank Stram um, and shaking hands right on the field and with the beautiful backdrop. I, and it's just heartbreaking because while he meant so much to Kansas city for the chiefs on the field, it's what he meant to the city off of it because he was more than just a longtime player. He, I mean, yeah, he played in the NFL for 19 seasons, but after that, he was a broadcaster for over 50 years. I mean, he, and here's something, I mean, he threw for 239 touchdowns, 183 picks, over 28,000 passing yards in an era that wasn't really like yeah. a passing dominant league. Um. He also was from he was the host of Inside the NFL for almost 40 years. Yep. He was all over the place when it came to media and you know it's just and it's heartbreaking and this was expected cuz he would be put on hospice care. Right. Um, he had been battling battling ailments over the past couple of years. Um but you could see social media outpouring from the Royals, from Sporting KC, um, just from iconic figures in the city of Kansas City, in addition to statements from Clark Hunt and the rest of the organization. So 
but it's definitely it's a tough loss as losses usually are um he's definitely somebody who you could say is the face of a franchise right and you know it's funny you bring up inside the nfl that's that's how i became familiar with him you know i mean i, I never got to see him play and obviously just being able to hear him speak and talk about the game and break down games and in quarterback play kind of i went back and you know read and and now with the obviously youtube and how expansive it is you go back and actually get to watch some of you know just some of his game game film and stuff it's a, it's amazing but not only to be inducted into the nfl hall of fame as a player but also a broadcaster you know he really did do it all and uh you know i saw the statement one of the statements from uh, the clark Clark Hunt, the Hunt family, talking about how their entire family, their heart hurts. And, you know, he did. He meant everything to that organization. Uh, you know, and, and some of the outpouring, uh, Patrick Mahomes and others coming out and just, you know, expressing their their gratitude for just being in his presence. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of legacy that I any of us hope to leave behind. But, uh, you know, you can never go back and find he, he was he was always a stand up guy. And, you know, certainly the Kansas City organization and the community uh, as a whole lost a, a very important part of it today. They absolutely did. And, you know, a lot of people feel like Len Dawson was the bridge between an old generation and a new generation. And perhaps one of my favorite um, Len Dawson stories um, was probably back in, oh, gosh, there was a power – it was – he recovered from a knee injury. He had suffered a very bad knee injury um, one season, and I believe it was the year of, oh, goodness gracious me. I wish I could remember it off the top of my head. Here we go. It was 1970. He had recovered from a knee injury that most players would have been taken out of. It was the year they won the Super Bowl. There we go. They beat the Minnesota Vikings. I, I was wondering why I couldn't think of the year off to my head. But, yes, what had happened was he had suffered a knee injury early in the season. Everybody thought that was going to be it for him for the rest of the year, and the Chiefs were going to have to throw in the season, throw in the towel. Meanwhile, these days, like you said, like we said beforehand, before the show started, this is the type of injury that would keep you out the entire year. Well, not only does Dawson come back in just a few weeks, he comes back, leads them to the playoffs, beats the heavily favored Jets, and heads to the Super Bowl against the Minnesota Vikings and beats them. For not only the Chiefs, which was also the very last American Football League game ever played. Yep. Yep. The which is interesting to think about. The final AFL football game was them beating the NFL for a championship. Um, I do always get a kick out of that, but then again, it was the Vikings and they lost four Super Bowls. So, you know, what do you expect? True, Very true. But yes, Len Dawson will truly be missed an icon of the game. He was 87 years old. Moving on to here on roundabout sports, the major league baseball, 2023 schedules got released today. And James, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a crazy schedule for next year. It sure is. I mean, there's there's one span of games, and I was looking at I think it's near the end of April, where 
The Cardinals traveled to Seattle and then worked their way down the West Coast, going to San Francisco, then to L.A., then to San Diego. I think it's like well, here, a – Here's a look at that schedule right now. There we so, go. And I know for, for those of you at home, it's pretty hard to see it. Um, ah, it is. I nailed it. It was. It's the end of April. So they, they leave on Thursday, April 20th, and they return home May 2nd. So, yeah, you, you've got three in Seattle – uh, four in San Francisco, three in LA, then a travel day, and then you're you're back home to take on the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of the United States of California of the universe. So, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we don't be at this point. And there's another piece of information before I pop back up the Cardinals' uh, schedule for next year. But yes, the the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim Disney World Mighty wants to is possibly exploring a sale of the team. And to be honest, it's something I'm surprised hasn't happened already. I was discussing this with a friend of mine earlier this week. I've perhaps never seen a career as wasted as, as, Mike, Trout's. as Mike Trout's. Yeah. We have it's... never seen – I mean, he is a we, – we t- we've talked the last few weeks about Juan Soto being the generational player. Mike Trout – is if he's on any other team, and that's what I'm going to say it, if he's on any other team, he's a face of baseball. He, if oh, he's I agree. on any other team, even a team like the Athletics, you know why? Because guess what? At least people have a reason to tune in. You put them on the Rangers, people will still be giving them more attention. But when you're in the when you're the second Los Angeles team or the second team in the Los Angeles area, you're always in the shadows. Right. And they've never gotten good pitching over the past six years. That's for sure. You know, Trout's only made the playoffs once or twice in his entire career. He's not had the postseason success that matches the numbers he's put up. But that's just more proof that, you know, one player can't do everything. Right. I think the other thing that hurts him, too, is obviously being the, you know, you're right. I mean, I think he was the face of baseball before, you know, you talk about some of these other guys. But the other thing that hurts him is playing in the West Coast. I mean, you know, that means for us here in the central time zone, his game start at nine o'clock. And then, of course, going even further east, you go to the East Coast. You know, you're I'm not going to stay up till 10 o'clock, you know, at night to watch Mike Trout and Shohei Otani when it's must see television. The problem is, is that's. You know, unless you play for the Dodgers and just your your team is just loaded, nobody's going to stay up to watch those games. And I, my question for you, and Artie Moreno made a comment saying that, you know, he's he says it's just time to sell them. And he's been involved in that ownership since 2003. If I'm coming in to buy the Angels, which I got, I wish I had the money to do so, would you – would you want to acquire the team with Trout and Otani already there? Or do you want the old regime to trade him or trade them and try to get you a bunch of prospects so you can rebuild and hopefully turn it into a winner? Because Otani's contract's coming up after next year anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a lose-lose. And, you know, I just – what breaks my heart ultimately about all of this and the Angels organization as a whole, I hated to see Albert – have so many milestones there because they weren't celebrated there like they would have been here in St. Louis. Oh, and it's not even so much that I, go for a city like Seattle 
where, yeah, regular season team successes don't happen often. Right. But Seattle has a long history of individual successful career milestones. And the fans there are loyal to their team. I mean, they they celebrate the players that have made an impact there. There is – and Dave Newhouse, the late great Dave Newhouse, is some of my favorite all-time calls. Even if you go to a place like Toronto, head somewhere like uh, San Diego. Right. You know, there's so many teams. Even – I'll even say it. Go to the Phillies. Like, there's so many teams that are struggling in baseball or are subpar. Yeah. Usually. That if they went – or that if um, Otani and or Trout went to those teams, they'd be in a much better position than they're at yep. right now with the Angels. Because it never – it always seems like – you look at the teams I just mentioned, and it seems like things are getting better for them. Seattle's yeah. in contention. San Diego's in contention. Philadelphia's building. Oh, Baltimore's in contention. Hell, yeah. Baltimore's shocking everybody. And meanwhile, the Angels are the same mediocre, piss-poor-ran team with two – all-stars, and bottom three pitching staff. Well, I mean, you remember Ron Doan, the third baseman from Washington? You know, he signed in, in Anaheim, and you haven't heard anything from him since. It's like he literally fell off the end of the world. And he was one of the better, one of the, I mean, geez, one of the top third basemen in the league. But you're right. You know, you, you move those two players off of Anaheim and move them to a, any other team, and they get more national exposure. There's just more, more eyeballs glued to them. They become, you know, they're worth doubles overnight. So it's just tough, I, I, you know, and I'm with you. You know, maybe with this everybody playing everybody's schedule now, that changes. And maybe that's one of the reasons Major League Baseball went to that format was because you're going to get the superstars that are out on the West Coast playing in the Central and Eastern time zones more often. Therefore, you get, you know, guys get to more, see more eyes. Like, look at the slugger for the Mariners. You know, when, you know, the home run derby with him and Juan Soto, uh, I, I was cheering on. I, the, the kid was amazing. So, you know, I, I would argue that Arenado leaving Colorado helped him a ton. I mean, it's not the same as them playing games at 8, 9 o'clock at night. But right. If you're in an environment where winning is contagious and you want to win, and I say Arnado because he's up to bat right now with two runners on, but you know you just want. If if I'm a competitor, I crave that. Yeah, and we'll see where what happens if the team gets sold, who sells them, or where they get sold to. What happens to them if they stay in the city? And I'm sure the mouse won't let them leave. Oh gosh, yeah, we'll. I was going to say, once the mouse gets a hold of you, you're, you're, you're done for. It's true. Uh, very true. It is very true. Well, folks, thank you so much right now for tuning in to Inter- uh, Roundabout Sports presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media. I am the maestro Jeremy Carp alongside Hollywood James Knox. And, folks, it is time for our featured guest and our feature presentation, if you will. Now, folks, let me tell you something. He is a member of the St. Louis Glass Hall of Fame. He is a longtime professional wrestler. And on top of that, like I said at the opening of the show, this guy is a sports aficionado if sports aficionados were ever one, were one. He's at the top of the top. His his card collection and his memorabilia collection make mine just look minuscule in comparison. 
kind of hurts my soul a little bit. And I've been wanting to have him on the show for a long time. And it might, for all we know, folks, it might be too much for one episode. It is my pleasure, James' pleasure, to welcome to the rest, or not the wrestle, but to the uh, roundabout sports show, the one, the only, Sadie Blaze, everybody. Hey, what's going on? How are you? I'm good, Sadie. How you doing, buddy? I'm well. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's good to be here. I've, I've thought about coming on for a while, and I'm glad we could finally make it work out. Absolutely. So how have you been lately? Busy. I'm always busy. busy. Between, you know, wrestling and softball and work and the other work and working on my house. It's There's always something going on. So the first thing I have to ask, you know, we mentioned a couple times about your uh, Hall of Fame mm-hmm. induction, if you will. So when did your softball career start? I started in 1984. I... I was a bat boy for my dad's teams for years. And I finally got tired of listening to me beg to be able to play with them. So I wasn't supposed to, cause it wasn't 18, but they got me on the team anyway. And it just went from there. Really. I've played um, basically every year, every season since 84. Um, it's too many numbers for me to do the math. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say it's far for me to do the math too, but that's okay. It happens. 37, 38 right. years. Where did that, I mean, that pa- did you have the passion before you were the bat boy to or the love for softball? Or is well, it just being a bat boy on the team that kind of drove that? I mean, I played baseball, you know, when I was all up through high school. I played in like Legion ball and stuff like that. Um, but just being out there all the time with my dad on the weekends, I just like, I had to play it. I had to play it. Um, and as an adult, it just continued. It's, you know, it's a connection to the game that I'm happy to have, you know, because there's not a whole lot of like adult leagues out there. There's not a lot of old guys playing baseball. And I'm certainly not as good as the ones that are. Yeah, I, you know, James, and, th- and this might kind of be more up your eye because you've been an umpire for a long time as well. Right. Um, so you still, you both still have that talent. Obviously, James used an umpire and say to you, especially as a softball player. Um, how do you see how much longer do you see yourself playing softball on a regular uh, basis, if you will? Forever. I'm, I'm going to play until they carry me off the field. And maybe I won't get carried off the field. They'll just push some dirt over the top of me and put a stick in the in the, in the top and go. And that, that's just run around that. <laughs> I, honestly, that's that's what I like to hear personally. You know, um, a lot of times, you know, everybody does have to. Re- a lot of people feel that they have to retire at some point. Sometimes, you know, I just like I want to do this as long as I possibly can. I've been doing yeah. journalism for ten years. I want to keep it going for as long as I'm humanly right. able to put a headset on or a microphone and speak. And no, that's awesome. That shows how much heart you have for it. Yeah, I mean, I. Jim calls me the Sid Vicious of Dynamo Pro because when wrestling happens, I'm there. But if softball's happening while wrestling happening, I'm not at wrestling. Softball is the priority. <laughs> James, I'm going to pass it over to you to ask a couple questions. All righty. Well, Sadie, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, I guess my first question is, do you, I mean, on the softball teams that you played on, do you, is it pretty much just in St. Louis or have you guys like done the travel circuit and stuff as well? 
Um, I play eight, nine, ten tournaments out of town every year. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, on Monday I leave for Dallas, Texas, for the World Series, um, and I'll be I'll play all week. It's it's one of the coolest things I do. We play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and if we're good enough, we play on Saturday. Right on. Um, because we're the league that I'm in the Hall of Fame is called St. Louis Glass. Um, we have a governing body called NAGA, and there's 46 member cities throughout across the country. And every year, Labor Day weekend, they invite like the best teams from all the leagues across the country. We'll all go to one location and have a big tournament, and that's who's considered like the NAGA champions for that year. Right. Yeah, I, uh, we do a lot of like USA softball. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, the men's, the big tournaments here, just set north of here in Evansville, Indiana, and uh, mm-hmm. some of the other places. I, I, I umpire like, so everything from like really eight-year-old girls softball all the way up to the college level. So, obviously, for me, like getting into it was because I couldn't play baseball anymore. Uh, so for you, and and I'm kind of with you, like you, you will literally have to carry me off the field for me to stop. Um, so other than the passion with your dad, was just were you always athletic as a as a kid, I mean, just playing anything you could get your hands on or, or, or with guys in the, the neighborhood. Um, I, I don't, it's tough because I, I was never really that athletic. I just had a burning to des- desire to do this stuff. So I just became right. good enough to do it. It was the same thing when I got involved in wrestling, they, they, I started with Midwest Renegade wrestling and they were all looked, they all looked at me as a future manager and I never wanted to be a manager. I wanted to be a wrestler. So we, I started training and they were like, well, you've got to learn how to do a lot of stuff before you can even be a manager. And I just continued the pursuit of being a wrestler. Um, but yeah, when I was a kid, you know, I played baseball all the time and I was always like out in, in the yard, broke a lot of windows with tennis balls and baseball. <laughs> yeah. A lot of us have done that. That's for sure. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. I'd be out in my dad's backyard, just hitting a ball across the, the yard. Um, it's kind of how I learned how to, keep the ball out of the air because if I hit it in the air, it went over the fence and then I'd go chase it. Um, it just hitting it to one side and then hitting it back to the other side. So obviously I would say, so obviously getting into wrestling as well, like, did you, I mean, I grew up a huge wrestling fan as well uh, in the eighties and everything. So was that for you, were you just a, a big fan before you started to try to get into the industry or was it again, just, you know, just a, a passion so I was a big wrestling fan in the seventies and eighties. I remember back in like 1979, I, cause I'm from originally from Chicago. We would go to the Hammond civic center to see it was actually Dick, the bruisers promotion. I think it was called a a W I can't remember for sure. Um, and you know, I loved wrestling as a kid and I, I, like a lot of people, I kind of got away from it as I got into my adult years. I got into music and, and a lot of other things, distraction, distractions. And it was, honestly, it was the NWO that got me back into wrestling. Uh, when I saw them throw Ray Mysterio Jr. into the video truck like a lawn yeah. dart, I was Yep. <laughs> yep. I, um, I know you probably thought of doing that to some people in the past. It's <laughs> a whole bunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I didn't have any thoughts of being a wrestler because I'm not a big guy. I never was a big guy. And it wasn't until I saw, like, a lot of the luchadors on Nitro right. that, I, that I even thought, oh, I could, I might be able to do that. And I lived in Los Angeles 
during the late 90s. And when we came back, Jim and Crystal had found Midwest Renegade Wrestling. And we all went to a show. I don't even know if you know this, Jeremy. The first independent wrestling show we went to was at Concordia Turner's, where we have shows now. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, from moment one, we were hooked. Um, Actually have pictures of that show with Ben, Big Bad Ben in the ring, and me, Jim, Crystal, and my wife, Sharon, sitting outside in the crowd. You can see us out there. Oh, man. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just saying, and that's because, honestly, when, and, you know, Dynamo Pros, that's basically the home base for Dynamo's, Concordia Turners. And I I love the old school feel going there. Um, and the crowds always turn out for those events. So it's really cool to see it being such a historic place for so many events, let alone professional wrestling. Yeah, it's been really cool. You know, and honestly, a quick little story. I've had this. So I was pretty close to Ben. We, you know, we started Gateway Championship Wrestling together. Um, He would show up at my house at two o'clock in the morning to fish in my hot tub. He asked me to go fishing. I said, all right, sure. He said, I'll meet you out back. And I opened the door and he was in my hot tub with his pants rolled up with the fishing pole. <laughs> that was interesting. Oh, um, but for years I've had this packet of photographs and I knew that they were Ben's and I just always had forgotten to give them back to him. I never really looked at them. I just kind of thumbed through. I saw some bloody pictures of him and I knew uh, obviously they came from his house somehow. Um, and, you know, Ben passed away two years ago, and I've been going through a lot of stuff recently, and I found this packet of photographs. So I opened it up and looked at every one of them, and that's the pictures from, that I was talking about from the first time that the four of us had gone to an indie show. Well, I know uh, Elride from Dragon's Guild. Thanks so much for tuning in, and he's always a fan of and I know I am too, but he's definitely a big fan of your story, Sadie. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, man? How are you? Uh, so here's, here's the thing. So what was, where did you first meet Jim and Crystal? I know cause the, the part of the friendship, almost the brotherhood between you guys has spanned quite a while. Well, I mean, that's exactly what it is. I, so I used to work at a comic book shop called double play comics and cards. It was down on Morgan for right across from Bevo mill. And the guy that owned it was good friends with Bruce Moorhard, who owned Moe's Comics on Gravoy. And Crystal worked for Moe since she was a little little girl. It was like her home away from home. So my shop and Moe's, you know, Bruce's shop ordered comic books together. So every Wednesday I I would have to go down to to Moe's and pull out the comics that we had ordered and take them back down to the shop and, you know, so we could sell them. Well, Crystal was there, and so I met her that way. And then I met Jim. I think Jim came in this, like the first day I was there, you know. And I was like, I don't know who that big dude is, but I want to be friends with him because <laughs> I don't want him to hit me. <laughs> um, and we just kind of hit it off. I mean, we had a lot of the same interests, obviously comic books and Star Wars, and a lot of the same musical interests, things like that. It, it just kind of it just steamrolled from there. And that was 93, I think, late 93 or early wow. 94. So. Yeah, 
Elrod brings it up the most. Look at look, this is the impact that you've made in not just his life, but so many others. Um, you know, he he says you've taught him the most, and on top of that, being just a fantastic friend as well as a mentor. What does it mean to you personally when you get comments from that, whether it be just on a you know on a show on a social media posts or just straight from the person themselves? I mean, it, it's humbling for one, but Jackie Robinson said that um, a life is not important unless uh, I wish I could remember the quote now, basically that your life is important when you touch other lives. And I've kind of always lived by that. I went to Yankee stadium a few years ago and they have a big like medallion on the wall with that on in uh you know, in the, in the legends area where all the, the retired numbers and stuff are. And I, right, I choked Park. up every, yeah, 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 Monument Park. I get choked up every time I think about that. I mean, oh, guys wow. like Robinson and Buck O'Neill are huge inspirations for me. Buck O'Neill, especially, um, finally getting his long awaited call to Cooperstown. Um, and I know that's something we'll probably have. Oh, I was, so happy when I found out because, you know, a few months ago I had talked to Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro mm-hmm. Leagues Museum, and, you know, it um, it was just a lot. It was it felt like the pinnacle for him. Yeah. Do you do you feel like whether it when you were inducted into the St. Louis Glass Hall of Fame for softball, do you feel like that was the pinnacle for you or do you, did you feel like there that you were just getting started? I mean, no, because I still have a lot left that I want to do. But honestly, well, one thing it really did for me was inspire me to do even more. You know, I wanted to become, I was pretty involved with the league at that point anyway, but I wanted to get more involved. It made me, uh, you know, I, I was not expecting it. I, I was at the, the meeting where they announced the nominees and I was like floored. I was speechless. Um, and then, you know, when they actually gave me the, gave me the award, the induction, and it just, I want to give back more, you know, they, they honored me in that way. It makes me want to do whatever I can. When did you, so in what year did you get inducted into the hall of fame? It was 2021. 2021. I remember when, you know, a lot of the guys in the locker room will go around saying, Hey, you can't mess with Sadie. He's a hall of famer. (laughs) And a lot of instances where if you were to say that with other people, like in other places, they would be like, oh, that's just a running gag. That's a joke. No, Sadie is a legit Hall of Famer, folks. And it's 100% well earned. Thank you. They do it on the field, too. And I'm just like, just stop, please. Just stop. <laughs> Who is. No, you go ahead. It, it's fun. You know, I go play out of, t- out of town and meet a lot of people from other towns or other cities. And other cities have their own Hall of Fames. And it's cool to be able to meet other Hall of Famers that are still playing. Um, there's a guy out of Kansas City named Ed Moody that's a phenomenal human being and a great ball player. And they put him in the Hall of Fame recently. And, and uh, we were both kind of like congratulating each other and talking about other people that are in or should be in, things like that. So it's it's not just like a St. Louis thing since we're all in this Naga governing body. It can be more almost like the – I mean, it's not the Baseball Hall of Fame, but like the Baseball right. Hall of Fame, where it's sort of like a fraternity type thing. Well, we have a 
lovely friend Christopher Miles tuning in, and he also believes that this is not the last Hall of Fame that you will be in in your lifetime. Well, I hope he starts one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say, well, then that might be an interesting case of legitimacy. So speaking of Hall of Fames, before we get into a little bit more about you, there is a conversation the three of us were talking about heading into this. Mm-hmm. So, Sadie, every year you go out to Cooperstown for the Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which, right. A, extremely jealous of because that's freaking awesome. Um, but, B, you know, the three of us know that looking who's in the Hall of Fame and who isn't in the Hall of Fame, the first thing that comes to our mind is why the hell is this guy in and why the <laughs> hell is this guy not in? Yeah. So, we're going to start with James and work our way over. Who do you feel, James, is the one person in the Hall of Fame right now, in Baseball Hall of Fame, Okay. that does not deserve to be there? See, I had I had, I had, had the other way around for you, one that wasn't in there that should have been. But okay, well, we so, can do that. No, 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 no. I'll, okay. I'll answer the question, and right. I think the one that I have to – I have to put out there is probably one of the most recent and that's going to be David Ortiz. There was too many questions about the legitimate, uh, the legitimacy of his numbers and being kind of tied up in the Mitchell report and everything. And I just, I don't know. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I think they should all be in there, but I think there should be a separate wing for those that, you know, were indicted or, you know, that had to, that were caught taking steroids. I mean, you can't, the baseball hall of fame fame is about telling the story of the game. You can't tell the story of the game without those guys too. I mean, that's, that's kind of where I stand on it. I mean, I can understand that. I feel that after, you know, I will say that he had one of the most iconic moments of the past 25 years. That's for sure. You know, hitting the, um, game-tying home run in the ALCS in 2013, which absolutely, you know, if if Fenway Park had a roof, it would have blown off after that home run. And it practically killed Torrey Hunter. (laughs) You would have thought that Cardinals pitching would have learned not to pitch to him in the World Series then. You haven't seen my fastball. Right. (laughs) So, you know, I could see a lot of people, and and Big Poppy, when thinking of people that were in the Mitchell Report or – had a PED scandal attached to them. David Ortiz, to me, actually seems lower on the list of notables as opposed to bigger controversies and cases that are all tied into that. Sadie, what do you think? I think they should put everybody in because there's a history of, of steroids in the game well before Bonds and Clemens and all the, the Mitchell report and all that stuff. I mean – this is going to be very controversial, but I say it all the time. I believe Hank Aaron took steroids. Um, I think Ooh. there's tons of evidence there to say that in the in the you know in the 70s, 72, 73, 74, that entire Braves team was on steroids. And you look at who who was on that team. David Johnson. David Johnson hit 40 home runs that year. He didn't hit 40 home runs the rest of his career. Right. Yep. And, yeah, that's and as you go through time, who was on the teams with the players? Palmero and Canseco and things like that. Davey Johnson. Hmm. That's a good point. And a classic case of steroids is you play better 
longer. You recover from injury quicker. Yep. Aaron was better, arguably better in the last half of his career than he was in the first half of his career. And that's not a knock on Aaron. It was, steroids were not illegal. Steroids weren't against Major League Baseball rules. Um, and I just, Lyle Alzado was a poster boy for why you should not do steroids. No yes, doubt. absolutely. Lord. They were rampant throughout professional sports. What makes people think that baseball players were such angels that they were not using something to give them a competitive advantage? Right. Yeah. I think so, that, I was to say I think so many people forget about that because they don't see baseball as a physical game. Like right. with football, you see muscles and you know big hits and and whatnot. But outside of the just the steroids in the seventies as well. But I mean, look at the greenies, the amphetamines right. these guys were on right. too. I mean, you want to talk about a cup of coffee times one thousand? I mean. Yeah. You know, on days where you didn't feel like playing, your the aches and pains were there. You know, you you pop a couple of those and you're good to go. So there, there are different types of performing enhancing right. drugs too. That you know, I, I agree with Sadie 100 percent here. And and I just you know, the Greenies. I was that was the next point I was going to bring up. Mickey Mantle would not have hit 536 home runs after being drunk all night <laughs> and getting up and playing a day game if he couldn't hit Greenies. And right. it's if you read Ball Four, which is probably one of my favorite books, the usage of greenies in, in Major League Baseball was rampant. Everyone was doing it and no one cared. It was just, that's what we got to do to get through the day. Um, yes, you know, it's not going to make you bigger and stronger, but it sure will keep you awake when the 85 mile an hour ball is coming at your head. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's it's generational. So we had the steroids steroid era. That's what they did at the time to get a competitive edge. You had like 50s, 60s, and 70s, where they had greenies. That's what they did at the time to get a competitive edge. Let's not forget the 80s was filled with cocaine, too. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, the the 70s and 80s basically gave birth to the, remember the whole Pittsburgh drug trials in 79. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, the 80s, the 80s was more of the hardcore drug era yeah. in baseball. Like, you know, people say that you're not supposed to be on steroids. But the thing of it is, the stuff that players were on in the 80s like the cocaine, you know, the um, the amphetamines, the heroin. Those are the things you – Well, I mean, look at guys even like – and I, I hate to bring this up because he's, he just become a Cardinals Hall of Famer, but look at somebody like Keith Hernandez Keith that got Hernandez. caught up in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that one hits home. I mean, how many other Cardinal players – and I hate to say this because I don't want to – I'm not trying to – put it out there in the universe, but it just makes you wonder how many more of your favorite players in the early eighties were, you know, using that kind of, that kind of substance to get through the, the season. Right. Well, well you and, know, and, Oh, go ahead, Sadie. You know, they used to say Vince Coleman slid head first cause he didn't want to break the Coke vial in his back pocket. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was really well, good. Well, it was well-timed as well. I will say, hopefully then, for his sake, it wasn't left in his sock in 85 when the tarp rolled over him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, for James, we got Ortiz as the one who doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Sadie, who do you feel doesn't not deserve to be that is in? Right. I, it's hard to pick one because I'm really adamant. I, you know, I, I can make a case for just about everyone to be in there, even Roger Bresnahan and Harold Baines. Um, but the glaring problem I have with somebody in the Hall of Fame is Kennesaw Mountain Landis, and along Ooh. with him, along with him, Cap Anson. Um, Landis 
single-handedly kept baseball white for 30 years. Yep. Yeah. And, and there is a, you know, Pete Rose can't be in the Hall of Fame because he gambled on, he bet on baseball. Of course, now it's also, you know, that he, the 16-year-old girl and all that stuff, and I hope he rots. I used to be a big Rose fan, not anymore. Um, but, you know, there's there's the integrity clause and all that stuff where they, you, if, if you didn't represent the game well and represent you, you, yourself well, things like that. Well, Landis is a guy that, and if you listen to the rhetoric that Landis used back then, it's very similar to a lot, of, a lot of stuff people today say, where he was like, I'm not saying that baseball should be white. I'm going to leave it up to the teams. Oh, yeah. We'll see and, how that goes. And Anson, you know, Cap Anson was instrumental in, in getting people like Moses Fleetwood Walker and his brother Welday thrown out of professional baseball as well back in the 1800s. Anson's got the numbers to be there, and he's the first 3,000 guy. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Landis, I'd like to, I, as a matter of fact, when I was at the Hall of Fame this year, I kind of made a big production out of saying in front of the Landis plaque that they should take this plaque off the wall and put it under the Hall of Fame. Ooh. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting you bring up Landis. That was actually not who I expected, but it's not someone I disagree with. And I'll tell you why. You know, in addition to his, his staunch personality and way of keeping baseball segregated for as long as it was – I also feel, unlike Cap Anson, because obviously Cap Anson, you know, did the same thing. But I feel that Landis, as being the first commissioner in baseball, actually had a very aggressive abuse of power. Absolutely. 100%. Um, because as the first ever commissioner of baseball, the precedent wasn't set yet on what you could and could not do in that position. Nowadays... You know, with guys like Bud Selig, Rob Manfred, um, Giamatti, you know, guys before that, what was allowed to happen and not happen? Landis, it was fair game. He could do what he wants because they, the owners, just did not want a repeat of the Black Sox scandal. Right. So, and as long as they put a politician like Landis, who was a politician, um, a senator in that spot, they didn't care. You know, whatever helped their pockets and the integrity of 1940s baseball, you know, of that of early 20th century baseball. That's all that mattered. Right. But, yeah, I think Cap, Cap Anson prevented um, African-American ballplayers from staying longer in baseball longer than they should have because they were in, the, you know, Jackie Robinson was the one that broke the color line in the modern you know, in the 20th century, but black ball players were in baseball well before that. Right. The problem is Cap Anson basically played a role in stopping that. And Landis let it go on too much, too long. Right. You, you know, so I definitely agree with that one. Who were so, you expecting me to say? You know, I was thinking of players and yeah. honestly, I, I shit you not. Why is it? I, thought you would say somebody like Ozzy Smith. Probably because the post I made recently that says Ozzy Smith is overrated. That that might have done it. Um, I just, you know, one of the, I think, and I remember that. So that's why I was kind of thinking that's where you're going. I didn't want to yeah. say a guess or anything. I just wanted to kind of wait. 
Um, and don't get me wrong, I love your your answer on it being on Landis and Hanson. When I saw that post and the amount of backlash you got for it, I've been getting it for years because I say it all. I say it a lot. Yeah, I I couldn't imagine like going to some of my friends who are hardcore Cardinal fans and saying that. Um, yeah. Considering Bob Gibson only had four less home runs than uh, <laughs> than Ozzie Smith, though, that is saying something. So for me, I really had to look hard on this, and you know, this is who I was gonna. This is who I'm gonna say. Now, when you are the New York Yankees, now I'm going with the Yankees player here, and this this may step on people's you know, toes or fingers or whatever the hell it is. I don't care. You know, we know the Yankees history is vast and expansive. Monument Park barely has any room anymore, and they can barely issue out any jerseys anymore because they retire them every five years. But for me, I'm going for a guy who, because he was in the public eye so much, is why he got in the Hall of Fame, and that's Phil Rizzuto. I'm going Phil Rizzuto because aside from one year when he won the MVP, he was a mediocre hitter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was below average hitter. He edged his way on to the Hall of Fame mostly on that basis. And the fact that most of the success of Yankee years were not because of him. I also think because him being a longtime broadcaster, sports personality, almost a celebrity, if you will, you know, that creates that new second part of you that mm -hmm. you include when you get into the Hall of Fame. You know, they look because they people will say, no, they just get him. No, they look at that, too. They look at not just the player, but the person afterwards. It's in fact, I feel that players who live private lives, it's much harder for them to because there's not as much for them to look for voters to look at. They literally have to stick at the career of that player. Um, you know, so Phil Rizzuto for me is definitely somebody that I just I don't know because. He won the MVP in 1950. He played just, he had a 13 year career, but he only had 563 RBIs and 38 career home runs. Now, he was a seven times, seven time World Series champion. But then again, let me tell you something. When you play from 1941 to 1956 with the New York Yankees with only one year on break because of the war, you know, you were just talking about Mantle and look at some of the other guys that were on those teams in the 40s and the 50s. You're definitely not the big name. You're definitely one of the lower names on that list of reasons the Yankees won that World Series. You know, you got your Don Larson's, your Yogi Berra's. Um, and I mean, your, your DiMaggio's and it's just that that's who it is. Your Don Lemons. I feel that as an overall player and it was Phil Rizzuto being an underwhelming person to be in the hall of fame. There's a lot more 
And yes, if it were not for the fact that he is just clueless in so many ways, Pete Rose should be in in the Hall of Fame. Like, it, but he, the amount of cluelessness on his part, the fact that, because the fact that you don't have the all-time hit king and the all-time home run king in there, yes, I understand. But like you said, Sadie, there's a very justified reasons why Pete Rose has not in. You know, the gambling's one thing, you know, having relations with a 16-year-old and then, what, 40 years later saying, uh, babe, you know, yeah. that, mm. that that was that was 40 years ago, babe. I don't want to talk about it to a reporter. Yeah, yeah, that is not a good look at all. Well, you know, just really quickly, his excuse was always, well, the 16 was the age of consent in Ohio. And I'm like, do you need a law to tell you what's morally right? Because if you do, you should just go away forever. Right. Yeah. And I think that ties more into Landis and um, Cap Anson. It's yeah. just because it's, you know, certainly it's not morally right for to do what um, they had done to damage the game of baseball, you know? And if they ever, and if they ever had come out and said that they were only doing what's for the best intentions. Okay. Well, the problem is some of the best, some of the worst things that have happened have been done with the best intentions. Yeah. So basically we have folks, uh, James, who says that David Ortiz does not belong in the Hall of Fame. Sadie saying that Commissioner Landis and Cap Anson should not belong in the Hall. And obviously there's so many other cases that could be made. We know that. And for me, it's Phil Rizzuto that shouldn't be. So James, we're going to start with you. Who do you feel is not in the hall of fame and i'm gonna just say it right now before because i my pick if this was done a few months ago i would have said jim cott 100 like that i would have stood by that until the day he got inducted but he's finally inducted thank the lord here he is so james who's your pick on who is not in the hall of fame but you truly feel deserves to. Well, Maybe. first of all, I still think, I, I, you know, I, I think Scott Rowland should be there. Uh, but my, and this is this may this may surprise you, Jeremy, because you know I can't stand him and I don't like his his off no. the cuff off the cuff antics. Oh, no. But I think Kurt Schilling should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I I can't stand the man. I but can't you, stand Kurt Schilling either. But, I messaged him and but, I just oh. But if you but if you go based on on his career, I mean his career uh, accomplishments, he deserves to be there. I mean, he was one of the best postseason pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball, and if that's what we're basing it on, then he should be there. I and again, I can't stand him, but whatever. I know you're right. I know the numbers are there, but I can't stand him so much that I I, I, <laughs> right. I don't even have him in my like superstar player box of hall box of baseball cards. He just right. sits in the commons. <laughs> I think I found him when uh, Ryan Ash uh, threw those cards at Delirious. I think I picked a <laughs> Kurt Schilling up. <laughs> 
Well, I hope nobody was searching for the Griffey and Randy Johnson rookies because those got taken out before. The- yeah, I, I heard about that too. Like mm-hmm. when the, the kid, quick side note, when the kids from that from Dynamo Pro's fifteenth anniversary show, um, there's a match between Ryan Ash and Delirious, and at one point during the match, match Ryan Ash hit Delirious with a box of baseball cards. The box was one of the ten million that Sadie happens to own, and. It was from what the eighty-eight or eighty-nine set. Eighty-nine Donruss. Eighty-nine, yeah, yeah eighty-nine Donruss. I still have the box, and nice. with some of the cards, I still have like some of Ryan Ash's speech and <laughs> stuff like that, and part of his outfit. I asked him if he wanted the stuff, his mementos. He said no, but I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but meanwhile, while I'm sitting there with Big Sexy Chris Rodell and Luke Skywalker Roberts, we're looking. I'm looking behind me. And there's just a bunch of kids that were in attendance, like grabbing the this these dozens, these hundreds of cards that are on the floor of players they don't know. Right. And I'm just like, well, shit, I better get a couple of these too because they're going fast. Baseball card collecting has become a lost art. Uh, yes, yeah. but she, he <laughs> no told way. me he told me ahead of time he was going to do it because he he actually had a couple of those sets from when he was a kid, he collected, he collected when he was a kid and he, he just got back into it in the last year. Um, and then when I got to the show, I saw he had this factory set and I go, you're not really going to hit, hit him in the head with the Ken Griffey jr. Rookie card. Are you? He's like, well, yeah. And I go, well, can I have them? So we searched <laughs> through the box of the cards in the locker room and pulled them out, pulled out the Griffey and the Johnson. Wow. Oh, wow. Great. Oh my gosh. Okay, a little back on track now. So, James, you, you talked about your favorite uh, philanthropist, Kurt Schilling, and why he Don't should be dare. in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and why he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think we all agree that we can't, uh, on a personal basis, we just cannot stand the guy. And, you know, like I said, I had, and I'll probably never get him, even though I've messaged him about. I'll probably, I can live. I can get, I can sleep well at night knowing that. Before we go further, like I would, and I know the numbers aren't quite as good, but I just, one, he was one of my favorite players growing up. And I loved the Seattle Mariners at the time. I got to give an honorable mention to Jay Buhner. I really loved watching him play the game. Yeah. He's a good, he's a really good ball player. Underrated. The, yeah, I was, I was looking here. He had, he had 310 home runs. I mean, he had a batting a lifetime batting average of 254, and he drove in 964 runs. But he was just so much fun to watch. And hitting home runs in the kingdom, my God, you talked about scraping the – if there was a ceiling on Fenway Park, I really thought some of his would scrape the top of the kingdom. Yeah. He just had unbelievable power. Right. Um, so, Sadie – we, we bring it next to you, my friend. Who do you feel? And uh, you know what? We can make it to where if there is two that come to mind, we can. Um, but who do you feel that's not in the Hall of Fame right now that is definitely deserving of it? Two. I got a list. You, um, okay. You can. You know what? You're the featured guest. Well, uh, you, you name. Good discussion points. Good exactly. Discussion. Good discussion points. Go for it. I'll go with two. Um, one probably will get in one day and the other one has no chance at all until the veterans Uh-oh. committee puts him in. Oh, um, Todd Helton. Yeah. Absolutely a hall of famer. Yep. Um, we talk about and 
just because people have forgotten to, so much about him doesn't mean that he wasn't a dominating hitter as well as an incredible fielder during his time. It's sort of like Jim Rice syndrome. No yeah. one wanted to pitch to Jim Rice in the 70s yep. and 80s, and by the 90, late 90s, no one knew who Jim Rice was. Um, Very true. And then the second one is Bernie Williams. Ooh, interesting. It's, well, it's really interesting because you brought up Rizzuto. How do you put Rizzuto in and not put Bernie Williams in? Bernie Williams was a starting center fielder on a dynasty team. It's true. Exactly. They, they and, kind of know, fit. Right. He and he was a great he was a very good ball player. You really didn't want to see him in a clutch situation. But he gets no recognition at this point. Yeah. You really don't hear much from the camp wanting Bernie Williams to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's definitely unfortunate because honestly, like when you talk about, we all know you're the big four, you know, we know you're Jorge Posadas, you're Derek Jeters. Then you got A-Rod, Hideki Matsui, Andy Pettit. I mean, all these guys. And then, yeah, you do have Bernie Williams coming in. You even got, and then Gary Sheffield, another person on that list. Um well, Jeremy, you know, you know why we forget about these players, and this is just an opinion, but I, I think just sitting here thinking about it, because baseball, what we expect now are the three true outcomes: home run, strikeout, walk. Bernie Williams was a doubles machine. The the man was, I mean, just extra bases. I mean that 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 was that was his game. I mean, you know, and then you look at, I mean, just that team in general. Like Jorge Posada was not a huge home run hitter. But Not he was the same way. You know, it was extra bases. You're talking about a big OBP when now we're talking about, oh, it's got to be home runs and this and that. Now, Helton, Helton did all three. He could hit the ball out of the park and hit it a long way. In Colorado, he was extra bases, you know, big doubles machine, big OBP guy. And then he could pick it at first base better than a lot of first basemen in the league at the time. So, I mean, but that's why we forget about it now is because we're so interested in the three – true outcomes of baseball that all these other numbers that used to mean a lot and still should mean a lot, especially getting into the hall of fame, they're swept under the rug. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, years ago I was on the golf course with the former president of the baseball hall of fame, Dale Petrosky, and I was throwing ideas at him left and right. Cause I apparently thought I could just influence the president of the hall of fame. I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> but I suggested that they, that the hall of fame, you know, the Hall of Fame has an award for sports writers. They have an award for announcers. I suggested let's have an award for players that may not be Hall of Famers, but deserve to be recognized. You know, Harold Baines would have been one of them. Or Dave. Tim Harris. Raines. I thought Tim Raines would be a perfect example. Yeah. It, it, it's like, let's make an, let's have an award that the Hall of Fame can give out every year. The guy can come to the ceremony. So in 25 years, people don't forget, like, if you ask somebody under the age of 30 who Dave Parker was, most of them don't know. But the guy was feared. He, he was yeah. one of the best hitters in the game and had yep. one of the best arms from the outfield you'll ever see. Everybody talks about Clemente's arm. Well, the guy after him had a pretty good arm too. And I think – I was going to say Clemente, um, but, you know, Dave Parker especially, and uh, James will be right back with us. So quality time with Sandy. So <laughs> – I will tell you a couple interesting guys on my list. Okay. So, because um, honestly, the interesting thing is, 
you know, looking at a lot of lists, a lot of the guys that people would think about have already gotten in. The Edgar right. Martinez has got in, who was underrated for so long. Um, your Trevor Hoffman's. And like I said, Jim Cott. So when I think of guys that are super deserving, in my viewpoint, I have a couple. One, the first one, Tommy John. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it goes beyond more. First off, I do want to read Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, because there is a lot to learn about him. I mean, yes, this is the thing. The most important surgery in baseball and perhaps in all of sports is named after a player, an actual guy. Right. That's the interesting thing. Like, but you know, he pitched 26 years in baseball. 26 freaking years in major league baseball. So you look at these guys, what happens whenever a pitcher nowadays has Tommy John surgery? Like you hear their career has already been cut in half. Right. They don't have as many cha- – there's not going to be many chances. If they hit a free agency, teams are not going to want to invest as much in them because they don't feel that there is as much to invest in a guy who's had a major surgery. Adam Wainwright had Tommy John surgery. Right. And, you know, it was a little bit – it was a struggle for him to get back. He somehow – drank out of the fountain of youth and is pitching some of his best baseball at 40 years old. But at the same time, yeah. So here's another thing. Tommy John, 26 years in the league, racked up over 4,700 innings pitched, a 3.34 ERA, and he was just 12 wins away from 300. And usually, and this is all but maybe two cases – um normally if you get at or near or at or above or near 300 wins you're going in the hall of fame right especially you know and now more than ever that's something that's gonna be the case but i don't even know if we'll ever see a 300 win pitcher again it doesn't seem like it i you know um one quick side note cc sabathia is the only player whose entire career was in the 21st century that even got to 250. right you know, the only one that would even come remotely close is Justin Verlander. Verlander. Don't, you know, um, but yeah. And on top of that, I think the only reason that Tommy John is not in the Hall of Fame right now is because of the lack of notable awards. Right. You know, I'm in. That's not in. That's kind of a given you know championships cy young awards mvps things like that of course those are going to go into your candidacy for cooperstown tommy john didn't win any of those he was a four-time all-star that was it right you know he pitched from 1963 to 1989 and he almost pitched in four different decades which only about 27 players have done right um but on top of that yeah Tommy John, he had over two thousand, over twenty two hundred strikeouts. Um, he did lose two hundred thirty one games, which can be an indicator also of the teams he was on. He played so, on the White Sox in the seventies. Exactly. So <laughs> that doesn't exactly help you, because um, he put, and he also, which is interesting, because there were two different 
periods where he played on the Yankees. Mm -hmm. And you know, he played from 86 to 89, and he played from 79 to 82 on the Yankees. Pitched two years with the Indians. Um, and then yeah, he pitched for the White Sox from 65 to 71. And then a lot of the 70s was, of course, with the Dodgers. Right. Um, one year with the A's, a couple years with the Angels. So there's not much. Um and so James, I was just bringing it up to say, and I kind of want your thought as well um, okay. as his. Tommy John, that's my first pick that I have for somebody that's very deserving to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, <laughs> if you disagree, yeah. that's fine. But I mean, I, no, 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 no. I just, you know, it's funny, and, and I think anybody, obviously, when you mention the player Tommy John, the first thing that comes up is the surgery, right? I mean, yeah, you're getting your UCL repaired. Uh, you're right. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, number-wise, I mean, I just wonder. I I, I kind of think with his stuff, you, you go back and look at his numbers, and I'm going to actually get a refresher. I actually was looking at him the other day just for this simple conversation, actually. Um, I wonder if he could pitch in, like, in today's baseball as well, you know? I mean, just the, the numbers and stuff and the stuff he had. Uh, obviously, he's – He's out of Terre Haute, went to Indiana State. I mean, he just he's always had good numbers, so I would agree with that. I mean, that he should be in the Hall of Fame as well. Who was your other one? My other one, this one is going to hurt a lot of people. Oh, boy. And this comes in – this is another one of those guys I just can't stand. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. And no, it's not Pete Rose. Okay. Um. And it's not Barry Bonds. Okay. It's Roger Clemens. I think Roger Clemens because, okay, and the, first off, two of the reasons I can't stand him, the guy was an asshole, especially at the end of his career. This is the type, all right, he would sign big contracts, like $22 million, $28 million over just two-year periods, and then tell, tell his teams, Hey, if I'm not pitching in this road trip, I ain't going. Well, it, it became a thing. It became a thing with the Astros. It was in his contract that he only pitched at home. That there was no there was no travel at all. That he was going to pitch at home, and that was it. Like you expect that for a guy like, um, let's say Mike Shannon when he's broadcasting, that he only calls home games. But there's a difference. He's in his late seventies, and he has health issues. And hey, it's a good it's a good gig it. if you can get it. It's a good gig if you can get it, but still. Okay. So, nevertheless, my reasoning for Roger Clemens, look, the, when I mentioned Tommy John not getting in, it, I told, you know, I said a lot of it has to do with awards. Mm -hmm. And now the only thing that Tommy John had to him as far as awards and accolades go is just he was a four-time All-Star, which is yep. great. Roger Clemens is a two-time World Series champ. He won the Cy Young a record seven times. He was an MVP. He made 11 all-star teams. Don't even get me started on how many times he led the AL in strikeouts. And yeah. he was the – here's something that, to me, might actually be the most significant one of their, of all the stats. He twice was a triple crown winner in pitching. You know, you talk about how rare it is just to get one, and we already know how rare it is to be a triple crown in hitting – Right. But the fact that he twice was a triple crowner in pitching, and he did it back-to-back -back years, 
354 wins. And on top of that, he was the one of the of our era. So I'm gonna say from 1980 to now, most intimidating pitcher alongside Randy Johnson. I'm gonna put him up there because the the demeanor he had. See, Randy Johnson's seven, practically seven feet tall. You go up against him, yeah, you're gonna be scared beyond belief to face a guy that throws 100 miles an hour at 45 years old. But the Rocket, one of the most dominant pitchers in history, and you know he almost made it to once again another conversation of pitching in four different decades. I think just kind of at the end, a lot of the attitude issues, off-field issues, controversies caught up to him. Yeah, the fact there that was he was a, gassed up. Right. There was a point <laughs> in his career where, yeah, that too. There's an, a point in his career where a lot of those things were happening, but he could get through them. But no, come 2007, the gas just got to him. So and here's real that, quick, so that's real quick, because you said, you said your second one wasn't going to be Barry Bonds. He and Bonds are very similar in one aspect of their career. They both would have been Hall of Famers had they never touched the stuff. Bonds was, a, Bonds was a Hall was going to be a Hall of Fame player when he was playing with the Pirates. Clemens was going to be a Hall of Famer when he was with the Red Sox. You know, I, I don't. That's what drives me nuts. Same thing with Alex Rodriguez in Seattle. These guys were going to be great players, possible Hall of Fame players, without even touching the stuff to begin with. I mean, it's the greedy only becoming greedier, right? It is. Um, and, well, you know what? You take away a lot of Bonds, pre-Bonds 1998, um, he would have already had 411 home runs up to that point. And that in of itself is enough for a lot of players to get into Cooperstown. You, you look at Bonds, and who's to say that they weren't on steroids? You know, when did they start taking this stuff? Who true, knows? very true. Yeah. But if you say – if you estimate 20% of Bond's home runs came because he was helped by performance-enhancing drugs, I mean, it's still 500-plus. Yeah. He's that's, still a Hall of Famer. He's still a Hall of yeah. Famer. I think there's a better – and this is what's interesting. There is a better case – a lot of people may disagree. There's a much better case for Barry Bonds to be in the Hall of Fame than there is for Pete Rose to be in the Hall of Fame. I say it, and I'll tell you why. No, because the controversies that Bonds took part in were not as immoral as the controversies that Pete Rose took part in. I'll give you that much. I agree with that. Because Bonds never – look, the thing of it is Bonds signed big endorsement deals, starred in video games, and was in the Balco scandal. Yep. Pete Rose, we first off, aside this is all we know of Pete Rose. He gambled and he had a relationship with a 16-year-old girl, and his only defense for it is that it was legal at the time. <laughs> so and and you know, I know it's not the Hall of Fame personality-wise, but and do I and for the longest time. You know, I did not like the fact that uh, Barry Bonds was the home run king. And in a way, I'm still not because I just love Hank Aaron. But, right. you know, Sadie, you brought it up about, you know, 
you still you have a stout belief that Hank Aaron was on it back in the day. Um, and so, yeah, I just look at it as, and none of, and one thing, Rose is banned, and the ban may only get lifted when he dies. So this discuss like because technically it's a lifetime ban, right? So so apparently there there have been rumors circling for a couple of years now that they do plan to induct him, but he has to pass away first. Which I I mean, I I hate to know that ahead of time. But who's but, saying it? That's the thing. Because the writers won't be able to vote on it. It's not a writer's vote. He's been off the ballot for too long. You know, it's been too many years. It right. would have to go to committee, and he would have to be reinstated by Major League Baseball first. Right. And he's already gone to Manfred to try to right. reinstate, and Manfred's already said no. Because he won't um, shoot up. Yeah. No, that, that's the thing. Like, it's it's one of those things like, okay, we'll give you a second chance or fifth chance, but just don't do this one thing <laughs> or say this one thing. So the very next thing he does is go out and say and do that one thing. Right. I think I think that's why Major League Baseball brought him back for those those Fox uh you know the Fox broadcasts for the the few that he was on was to like give him another chance to kind of redeem himself. Yep. And the, the the man just can't stay out of his own damn way. I mean that's what it comes yeah. down to. Well, look at him when he was on MLB Network and alongside with uh, Frank Thomas and Alex Rodriguez, and just you, you want to talk about a guy who looked sound like he got drunk what the night before and then had to come in for work the next morning yeah that's yeah. kind of how you went along with it i just want to know what size lens they had to use to fit that giant ego in the camera shot <laughs> that's well played i well played. i'm amazed they got it so here's yep. one that we got sent in and he rose his uh, egos about the about the size of barry bonds's head yeah. Oh my gosh. Especially, especially <laughs> post uh, 2001. So here we go. This is probably one of the most talked about players that's not in the Hall of Fame. And maybe it's unanimous on what we think about it, but I just want to know what do you think about Shoeless Joe Jackson? Shoelaces Joe Jackson? That's uh, it's a travesty that Jackson's not in. It's a travesty that he was banned from baseball and it's basically his life was ruined by a guy look, just looking to make a mark in the business. Yeah, there's really nothing else to say. I kind of, I mean, those are the exact words. And yeah, if, I, if it's a I, lifetime ban, why is he not in? Right. Yeah, there you go. That's another. And the thing that hurts, I think what I really feel bad for the most in the case of Joe Jackson is the fact that a lot of guys will just lash out and complain and bitch and moan about their situation. Joe Jackson just spent the rest of his life trying to prove his innocence. Right. And it's not like he lived a long time afterwards. Right. You know, he only lived to be in his early 60s. Um, so, yeah, for him, he just – he literally spent the rest of his life just trying to prove his innocence. Mm -hmm. You know, that – and that he – and I – and honestly, if I was alive back then, I would have believed him. That he didn't take part in that, because um, th it just didn't fit the personality that he had. No, right. It did not fit the personality that he had, and what made him famous, and what made him known off the field as well as on it. And you got to understand that Jackson was not. I mean, this was the early 1900s. There were not the the population as a whole was not educated, and Jackson was not an educated man. He was a ball player. That's well. That's how he made his money. He wasn't a smart. He couldn't sign his own name to a point 
And that, yeah, that's just how it was. You know, he took the money, but he didn't throw the series. If he threw, if he threw with his statistics, if he threw the World Series, boy, can you imagine what he would have done if he hadn't? He'd have hit six hundred. Right. No, I absolutely agree. Now, here's a couple other names. So we said the ones that we feel are definitely must-serving, but there's a couple other names that have popped up. Fred McGriff, McGriff the crime dog. dog. What do you? What's your guys' feeling on? Um, especially that a name that most people say that in the steroid era, he was not a part of. It was my favorite 2 a.m. infomercial with the Tomomansky hitting videos. <laughs> <laughs> I love Fred McGriff. I was a huge Braves fan back in the 90s. And even before that, when he was when he was with Toronto, I loved he had such a sweet left-handed swing. He and he seemed like he was always always having fun, just a big kid playing the game. But I'll tell you what, I mean, he had some mammoth shot home runs. He played extremely good defense. I yeah, I mean, I don't that for some reason that one didn't even cross my mind and, and it should be top of mind. So I yeah, I definitely think Fred McGriff should be in. Yeah, McGriff is in. I'm mean, it's I'm sort of like I sort of want to just grab all the people on the on the panel and go, what's wrong with you? Just put them in. You know, we had talked about and I and I agree completely. I feel like he was one of the top sluggers of the second half of the 20th century and was just great at getting on base in general. Definitely a big powerhouse to have. Fred, Fred McGriff is the prime example of why writers that have ballots with nobody getting inducted should be kicked out of the damn BBWAA. Mm-hmm. I have, oh, I absolutely agree. I think the fact that you you can even have a Hall of Fame where nobody gets in is just the stupidest thing. Yeah, that's why I do like at least the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They do at least every certain people get inducted every year. Right. Um, but here's a name that I don't think it, either of you guys know. And I'm going to tell you, up until a little bit ago today, I did not know this name either. First off, I'm going to put up his picture. And I want you guys to tell me if either of you know who he is. Hmm. Sadie, John, uh, James, do either of you guys know? Uh-uh. This guy's name is John Donaldson. Oh. He is one oh, of consi- he is considered one of the greatest Negro League mm-hmm. players. And much like a lot of the great Negro League players, he's become lost in history. Um and it's interesting because John Donaldson played alongside a lot of the greats like Josh Gibson. He was actually born in uh, Glasgow, Missouri. But the amount of teams he played for, I can't even begin to count. Well over 15 different teams. Wow. Um, actually, if you want me to count, which would take a little bit, it might have been closer to 20 teams. But he pitched one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Well, while you're counting, my question is, is my question is, is when when did baseball become a holier than thou Hall of Fame? I mean, I get that we're America's or baseball is America's pastime, but I mean, you can go back through the numerous big time Hall of Famers that are in there, and you can count their disc- their discretions outside of the game. When did we become yeah. holier than now? 
Yeah, Ferguson Jenkins. I mean, people and Fergie's done a lot of things to change his life and, and to be a better person, all that stuff. But I, the guy got caught smuggling cocaine yep. over a border. Nobody wants to talk about that anymore. No, and and I think another good example of somebody who has actually been in controversy is Orlando Cepeda. Yeah. Um, multiple times with drug charges. Yep. And I believe it was also trying to smuggle it across um, countries because I know he went to Colombia and he was told they couldn't be released and the shit, they were in multiple yeah. boxes. Right. Um, and yeah, there was just, and on top of that, there was a controversy regarding him pointing a gun, gun at a person. Yep. Back, I heard that too. Back, and that was, it's interesting because that was just days after the drug charge. So it's yep. like, wow, what's things happening? Try, try again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, I'm just this saying. This time I'm going to get away with the charge, but with this time I'm going to come back. And I just find it, I just find it interesting that a sport that has been that has such a checkered past that all of a sudden the Hall of Fame, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, we've become, you know, all holier than now to where, you know, we're going to that we're going to levy more and more restrict. Well, exactly. That's exactly what it is. I was and, about to say. It is yeah. I just. Money. It's sad, and but I mean, we tie this all back in. I'm kind of with Sadie. You can make a you can make a case that everybody should be in. You build a wing. You explain the steroid era because it's part of the game. You know, okay. So I had two years of my life that was really bad. It doesn't mean the two years didn't exist. It just means yeah. you'd like to forget them, but you still have to acknowledge them. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the saying where you know, just because somebody for just because you forgive someone doesn't mean they apologize. Or that yeah. you forget it. Yeah, or that you forget it. You'll never forget what they did or what happened, but you know that in order for your life to be what it's meant to be, you have to move on. You have right, to you still on. have to move on. Yeah, and yeah, I understand the whole morale thing of baseball now. People don't realize in the 160-plus like year history of Major League Baseball – there was a lot of bad things that have gone on. A lot of race, racial issues, sex issues, drug issues. I mean, you got managers who were having affairs with actresses. You know, don't obviously we all know about the racism and the segregation in baseball. Um, all of the drug charges, you know, there was plenty of gun violence, steroids, like everything. You had guys getting thrown off of trains for being drunk and falling into Niagara Falls and dying. Yeah. At Delahanty. You had, and, and let's be honest, people are talking about the players that are be acting, managers acting like this. Let's talk about how bad the fans have been throughout the history of baseball. I mean, remember the times where during the 34 World Series, fans in Detroit were throwing uh, chairs at Joe Medwick? And time when Roger Maris was trying to was close to breaking yeah. the home run record by Babe Ruth, and what happened? He he and even Mickey Mantle they're getting hit by beers and chairs and all kinds of stuff. Aaron, yeah, Hank Aaron, Aaron. Aaron. Oh, Hank Aaron was getting death threats in the mail. Well, 
And the funny and thing is, about the, I would say Don about Dettinger. the, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, Jeremy, the Hank Aaron thing, like, so when he was close to breaking the home run record, they actually had snipers on the top of the stadium in case somebody attacked him out of the stands. Right. I'm surprised those two guys that high-fived him and everything honestly didn't get shot. Right. And when you they said, let's, here. when you said, let's talk about, you know, the fans, I really thought you were going owners and the first owner that popped into my head, which was Marge shot. From Cincinnati. Oh, um, yeah. Sadie, Sadie okay. knows exactly March where shot. I was going with this, too. I, See? You know what? Even I remember March shot. Probably. Oh, she was something else. You you wouldn't be far off base if you just said, well, she, she wore the devil team. red. <laughs> she was something. Where she literally, the, the comments she made regarding Jews, the fact mm-hmm. that she thought that the comments she hated on facial hair on piercings, um, on gays. I mean, and meanwhile, she just has this. And I think yeah. one of the most disgusting things. It was the dog. It made her love The up. fact that she had her, let her dogs roam around the stadium <laughs> and shit everywhere. Yeah. And she did not care. Like, <laughs> and, and, you know, they talk about oh, how man. philanthropist she was. Fine. You can still donate a lot of money to causes <laughs> and still be a terrible person in the yeah. process. She paraded Eric Davis out like she legit owned him. It was horrifying. Oh, yeah. Probably one of, you know, we talk about some of the worst owners in sports history. Yeah, Marge shot definitely um, one of the absolute worst. And, you know, I believe one of the worst instances is it was back in 92 – one of the former marketing directors of the Reds, um, he heard Marge Schott refer to a lot of the players on the team and called them a bunch of rich and using a racial slur in the process. And, you know, said that she kept the Nazi swastika armband with her. Yeah. And, I mean, what's Marge Schott going to do to us now? She's dead. But um, the thing of it is, People think when you look at things like the Hall of Fame, all these wonderful reunion ceremonies, all these get together highlight packages, you know, we're not saying baseball should needs to parade the bad things that have happened. What we're saying is you can't act like it didn't happen. Right. Because it did. And unfortunately, I mean, I I really hope not things like that ever happen again. Nothing like that ever happens again. But at the same time, you know, there's always a new controversy. There's always a new situation that comes out. And I think nowadays the biggest one is just vaccinations and players coming out about why they don't want to. Um, and the, how that reflects on them and the team and then, you know, so, yeah, I, I definitely agree that when did the Hall of Fame – and, yes, it is absolutely all about money because you can market positivity a lot more than you can market the negative aspects of it to a younger audience. Right. Well, it's almost like the Baseball Hall of Fame has been trying to prove that they have an integrity clause and that they can – ever since they decided that Pete Rose didn't have any integrity because – the, the uh, rule that they have where you can't be eligible for election if you're on the restricted list, was that's not an old thing. It's a newer thing. It's a, it's a Pete Rose clause, basically. 
Yeah, and basically, okay. and the thing of it is, it's like if doing it's one thing. The fact that Pete Rose doesn't necessarily regret it is that and is has done worse things than that. That's the problem with the whole thing. And you're absolutely right. It is basically the Pete Rose clause because that's where um, it happened. And ironically enough, it happened with the commissioner that lasted the shortest amount of time in baseball history. Right. Um, Paul with um, Ralph Giamatti. Um, and Bud Selig honored Giamatti's request, you know, and Manfred basically seeing, look, you know, it's nice seeing, like, Manfred sticking to what his predecessors. For as much crap as wow. I give Manfred, he, he is sticking by his predecessors and acknowledging that Pete Rose has no character. <laughs> I mean, he's just like Selig light, so he doesn't have much choice. Yeah. Selig, Selig groomed him to be the way he is. But, oh, yeah. You know, Bart Giamatti was commissioner. He's Giamatti. He was a commissioner that banned Rose. And the original agreement was, in a year, we'll have another meeting. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll see what happens, blah, 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 blah. Well, Giamatti died. And then Faye Vincent was, was his successor. And I believe that Vincent was looking to make his mark on baseball immediately. And he just said, nope, we're not even going to talk about it. Uh, Pete Rose who? No, you're, you're banned. Get out of here. I remember when, and I know you guys definitely do, when back in 2015 when they had the All-Star game in Cincinnati. And, th and that was one of my favorites because it had the franchise four. So you could definitely, you could vote on who you felt was the greatest four players in each franchise. Um, I loved how literally pretty much all the ones for the Nationals were Expos players, which was great. Um, <laughs> but, and then for the, for the, uh, Franchise four for the Reds, you had Barry Larkin, Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, and then last but not least, they had Pete Rose come out. And, whew, like, the crowd absolutely went nuts. And Fox even panned to signs that said, let him in. Yeah. Like, so here's here's a question for you guys. And it'll probably be the last one on Pete Rose for this, this sake. But... During that, to, to continue with that All-Star game, they had a best, the greatest, and the four that were the greatest living in, at the time were Sandy Koufax, uh, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, and Johnny Bench. Do you feel that one of those should be taken out and Pete Rose be put in his place as one of the greatest living players. No, I don't think so. I think that I think that that four stays the way it is. Um, you know, you would have to present a pretty strong case for me to take out one of those players to put in Pete Rose. I understand that he was the hit king and and his playing career was you know outstanding. But I'm you know just just based on just based on everything I know, no, Pete Rose stays out. Yeah. The only person I would even remotely make an argument for would be to remove Johnny Bench. But even then, Johnny Bench had a clean career, um, and he was just as much a part of that big red machine as uh, Pete Rose was. And obviously, because to, to me, you know, obviously Hank Aaron, you could not take Hank Aaron off there. <laughs> Willie Mays, 
who, in my opinion, is the greatest, not just the greatest living player, but the greatest five-tool player of all time. And I know that covers a lot of ground, you know, and in my and one of and then one of my favorite athletes of all time, Sandy Koufax. Yep. Notice I didn't say baseball, but I just meant athletes. Sandy right. Koufax, right there. Um. So yeah, those are pretty hard players to take down from a mountaintop, and put in a guy. Yes, he is the hit king. Well, and then if you want to get technical, Ichiro is the hit king. But you know, Pete Rose got pissed about that too. <laughs> Good. Yeah, Pete got fear. I remember when people were referring to Ichiro as the hit king because technically he is if you combine his baseball career hit stats. Right. And Pete Rose basically said, "No, no, we ain't counting the stuff in Japan because why not?" Right. Yeah. Rose had the most hits, but he also had the most chances. Yep. I love that. That is the perfect way to go about it. Um, you know, he was his lifetime average. Was he three oh? one or three oh three oh two something like that his average is for being the hit king it's not that high it's 303 he had uh 1300 rbis um 160 home runs and but, so an interesting i will say this we've done a lot of rose bashing and he deserves every bit of it and more but if you if you ask me if you could pick any player to, you're the first player you'd want to put on a team to build the championship team, I'd probably pick Pete Rose. Yeah. I mean, the guy knew how to win. He knew how to help motivate his teammates and things like that. I mean, he's an awful human being, but you can't take that away from him. Yeah. <laughs> Cause heaven knows people have tried to keep that away from him, but he just keeps finding yeah. ways to continue to be a terrible human being with that. Let's talk about a more popular human being and ball player who has, once again, I talked about earlier, Adam Wainwright drinking from the Fountain of Youth. Well, hell, Albert Pujols is bathing in it. <laughs> I mean, tick, James and I talked about the ticket prices for left field seats. All For every home game left at Bush Stadium is going through the roof. I know. And they're already getting sold out because they want to catch a home run ball by Albert Pujols. Now, guys, yeah. let's put this in perspective. Albert Pujols is at 693. We are about a month and a week left of the regular season. Yep. So, he pool. Last week, James had mentioned he had brought up pool holes coming back. If he was, if he'd been pool holes, he'd come back. If he was a couple home runs away from seven hundred, pool holes has insisted. No matter what happens, this is it for him. So, and how many days do you see Pujols getting to 700? Because there is no slowing this man down right now. I think I think for him to do it and to be successful, I think he needs to hit three at least in the next week. It's going to be tough in September because if you're trying to win ball games and trying to win a division, he needs to get he needs to tie a rod in the next week. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, but at the same time. I'd play him down the stretch because nobody has the experience that he does. Nobody has the talent that he does. And you can't tell me he's not every bit as good, if not better than Dickerson. And they keep rolling that guy out there. Right. What, um, Pujols can't hit as well know, as Dickerson against right-hand pitching. Come on. Right. And the thing of it is Albert Pujols. I also feel like 
Albert Pujols gives them a big morale boost when you put him in the lineup. You when you let the oldest player in baseball going out there smashing home runs and going four for four or you know five for five in a two day span, right? And that tells you as a twenty four year old, if he can do this, why can't I? And you it because yeah. you know and Sadie, you and James, you and I know this. Anything when it comes to sports, if it's anything more than physical, it's definitely mental. Right. You know, going up there and hitting the ball is one thing, but being able to mentally focus and motivate and have, like you said at the beginning, Sadie, the desire and the passion to do this, you know, and Pujols is that difference maker. We've seen it with the relationship he's developed with Juan Yepes, you know, in the organization. Um, Now, the Cardinals have absolutely shot up in the standings. They have won eight out of their last nine. They are currently playing the Cubs. Um, and on top of that, you know, we're heading into the big roughest, the last month of the season. If you're Ali Marmol or Arlie Marmol, do you play pool holes? Not every day. I, I gave my friend a, this prediction. Um, here we go. At least two games out of every series. Depends on the pitching matchup. I, and, and I know that, I know that so, you know, cliche to say but here's what i'll say so and i and i said you couldn't play him every day because if you do that you're ultimately going to wear him down quicker i mean i know that he's bathing in the fountain of youth but you can't burn him out so let's say he's in the lineup tonight he's one for three with a double um i don't know the pitching matchup for tomorrow is marcus stroman hard throwing right-hander against the cubs i'm probably going to sit him because i expect over the weekend with the braves in town you're going to see max freed at least once there's, your, there's one lefty. So I'm trying to think of if they've got another lefty in there. I know they've got a soft tossing righty. So you're going to play them two there. Then I believe if I remember, so it's washed. Nope. That's the weekend after that. Um, trying to remember who they play after Atlanta, but I mean, you've got to, you've kind of got to pick and choose. Obviously I'm not going to play him a day game after a night game, unless he just kills the the pitcher that's on the mound during the day game. I, I think you just kind of pick and choose. I mean, Ali Marmol has done a wonderful job of keeping Pulos as fresh as he has. And I think that as crazy as it sounds, I also think that the home run derby kind of helped this swing because I mean, every, it's now, now it's like, look, swing hard in case I hit it. You know, I mean, he's airing some of these guys out like the, the pitch he hit off Drew Smiley the other night that was what shoulder high, you know, I two out of every three, I think it depends on the pitching matchup, but I think that's a pretty decent, percentage of games throughout the month of September. Yeah. I, I think he's going to sit. He'll probably sit against Stroman and they get, they're drawing Strider in the first game against the Braves. He'll probably oh, sit against him too. Yeah. That guy's yeah, on fire. Boy, Spencer Strider is something else. Yeah. But then Morton throws on Saturday. I would I, have him in there. Morton going then. Um, and yeah. And Albert, you know, I, I've said it over the past few weeks here on, on the show. Obviously, I want him to get to 700. Who doesn't want to get him to 700? But as long as he passes A-Rod, that's the great start. <laughs> that's right. We talked about that. That was the yeah. idea is pass we A-Rod. Just pass A-Rod. Did I expect it to happen this fast? Uh, not necessarily, but holy crap. And you know what? A lot of the reason he's cutting it this close is because of 2020. It's because of COVID. The that's whole, a good point. Yeah, you That's know, a real good point. It's... You know, because even though there was a lot of down years with the Angels, 
he was still hitting a decent amount of home runs. He right. still hit. He was still hitting. I think the big thing is he just wasn't getting the recognition for the hitting. And on top of that, he wasn't the biggest name on the team anymore. Right. You know, you, you normally when you have a team and you have Albert Pools on it, he's the biggest name on the team. Even if he's not necessarily the best player, he's the biggest name. But you got a team that Pujols spent a decade with that had Mike Trout on it. I mean, right. that right there just kind of tells you where you're going. Um, and, yeah, but 2020 came along, and Pujols, most players had the worst year of their career, but Pujols especially struggled. The next year in 2021, he was – uh, DFA'd by the Angels and then went to the Dodgers. Found some new, fit, but it, it was just these past couple seasons, these COVID, you know, riddled seasons that have slowed down Pujols's chances at production. So it's not so much him not producing; it's almost as much the time of him getting to produce has been cut. And, you know, I love that he's doing as well as he is now because, like I said, Pools is having one of the best farewell tours you can have. Unfortunately, Yadier Molina is having one of the worst. Yeah. yeah the argument with Pools and the, the COVID-shortened season of 2020, if you look at that, you, you could have averaged, and I, I don't have the number in front of me, but let's say he would have hit 10, at least 10 home runs in 2020. That, that, I mean, that could have put him at the point where he could have hit seven. I mean, he would have already hit 700 this year or it would have been at the end of last year with the Dodgers. So, I mean, I boy, I sure hope he gets there. I, I really do. And, and poor Yachty. Hey, but yeah. at least Yachty got a professional basketball championship out of it. Right. Well, I'll tell you this. So, in 2020, Albert Pujols – this is a career low for Albert, obviously – but in 2020, Albert hit six home runs. So add so, four more to it, you'd be right yeah. there on the doorstep. Right. Yeah. Um, in total, in 2017, or not 2017, in 2021 total with the Angels and the Dodgers, he hit 17 home runs. So you see what happens when you give the amount of games. Pools has been, and then we'll just go a couple years back beyond that. So he, he hit 23 home runs in uh, 2019, you know, 19 and 2018, 23, you know, 30. This goes back. Pools well, remember, he started at the, end of, runs. at the end of 19, he started dealing with really bad plantar fasciitis, too. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of, you know, indicative of how bad the injury was, too, at that time. I think the problem with Pujols and Sadie, I definitely wanted to hear your opinion on this. I think the issue with Pujols when he was with the Angels as opposed to when he was with the Cardinals. When he was with the Cardinals, he was hitting home runs and for average. When he was with the Angels, he was just hitting home runs. Right. That's the big thing. I, I honestly think that he was never, ever happy again once he left here. Um, I think I, that, and you know, we know the last couple of years he's had a lot of personal stuff happen. And people talk about, well, Pujols is drinking from the fountain of youth. I don't think that's it, honestly. Um, I mean, I've been a 40-plus-year-old athlete for too long, longer than I want to admit. And uh, I think he's just comfortable and he's enjoying the game again. You know, he, you, he, it was obvious he was enjoying the game when he was younger. And it just seemed like a lot of that went away when he, 
he's under a lot of pressure in Los Angeles. You know, the moving from the Cardinals, signing that giant contract and trying to bring a championship to a team that hadn't won. And I can't remember when they, they won the series. I can't remember what year it was. Oh, two. Oh, two. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Rally monkey. You know, yeah. All of that was, it's a lot of pressure. And I mean, even the best people get crushed under that kind of pressure and he's back here now. He's where he wanted to be. Uh, you know, his foundation is, is going strong. Um, he's just enjoying the game again. You know, have you ever seen Pujols as animated as he is this year? No, never. He's just having fun. I, and that, and that's the biggest thing. And I love that you brought that up is he's having fun and he's comfortable because, you know, as much people, the year after Pujols left, a couple years after Pujols left, left a sour taste in the mouth of a lot of folks here in Cardinal Nation. Right. But when the time came <clears throat> that he ended up coming back, I mean, you remember opening day and basically every game since, it's like he never left. Yeah. It's like he's been with us this entire time. Albert Pujols is more than just a ball player that plays in St. Louis. He is a, a figure that's touched the hearts of everybody in St. Louis. Right. You know, he's he's going, he's up there with he and Molina and Wainwright. That trio right there, you know, has been a part of our lives for literally since the start of the 20th century. Yeah, 22 years. You know, yeah. Because what Pujol started rookie year in 01, Molina in 04, and then Wainwright in 05. So, mm-hmm. you know, they all came together at the same time. Um, so, yeah, Pujols' production, you could tell there was just not as – and he didn't know as many people. It's it's just the environment. And, no, and, look, people can say what they want. And yeah, they'll be biased when I say this. But nobody loves baseball like the Cardinal fans do. Nobody, I don't see people love the way at Bush Stadium, especially when you go in Anaheim to an Angels game, compare it to here. Yeah. The environment's just totally different. Oh, whether yeah. it's, it's at Old Bush or New Bush, you know. St. Louis is a different experience, and you summed it up perfectly, Sadie. Pools just have more fun, especially with the <laughs> pumping his fists and everything. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I will always have a soft spot for Pujols because he helped the White Sox win the World Series in 2005. Yeah, he ended Brad Lidge's career. <laughs> I mean, he didn't end his career, but he ended him no. for a couple of years. No he, doubt. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Lidge actually won the World Series with the Phillies in 08, which yep. is funny. Perfect but, season. Yeah, perfect season, but I just get a kick out of you know what? I think that was a robot Lidge because I feel like when Pujols hit that home run, that soul left Bradley. Oh, yeah. yeah. I rem- I never heard so much silence from a ball game. Like, ever. I was in Cooperstown oh. watching the game. It rained that, that <laughs> entire week we were in Cooperstown in October. And we watched, just sat in a hotel and watched playoff games. So I was in Cooperstown when that happened. And it was, I mean... I think the whole town, the whole town itself went silent when that ball <laughs> took off. It's still going. I think that's that's maybe why they built the web telescope because they're still trying to find the ball. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that thing is still there. It's gonna. I mean, I'm. I heard rumors that in about a about a year and a half, it's gonna catch up with the Voyager One. 
it's gonna finally cross paths. <laughs> it's gonna and it's gonna be like, wait, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. Um. So heading into this last month, and and first off, I just want to say, folks, I already know this whole interview, which has been fantastic, is too big for one episode. <laughs> as long as you're okay with it, Sadie. I'm fine. I can do this All for right. hours. All right. Perfect. So we've already got Sadie locked in, folks, but I want to ask you guys one more question here. Heading into the last month of the season, besides the Cardinals, which team has just absolutely blown your mind based off how they're performing? I've got to say it's the New York Yankees, and I don't mean this in a good way at all. I mean, they have completely fallen off the – I mean, geez. I mean, they were on they were on pace. I mean, well, when they came into St. Louis, all we heard, and Jeremy and I poked fun at this, was the, the 70 wins over and over and over. Well, you, you trade, I mean, markedly your second best starter in Jordan Montgomery to the Cardinals for a player that hasn't been able to play a game for you yet. Uh, Brian Cashman come out today and still said that he doesn't regret making that deal. I think it's the Yankees, and the Yankees look bad. Now, I know that they've had injuries, and Giancarlo Stanton is on his way back from injury and and this and that, but to me, it's the Yankees, and it's been the surprise of the highly touted Frankie Montas, who has been terrible since they acquired him from Oakland. So, yeah, I'm glad we didn't get Montas like everybody wanted us to. Montas yeah. is hurt. Yeah. He's hurt, and nobody wants to admit it. Sadie, you got the Yankees too? No, I, I'm going to go with, well, Baltimore, of course. They, Ooh, okay. Who's Who plays for Baltimore? I mean, you know, I know you guys know things like Ryan Mountcastle, all that, but yeah. generally you ask somebody off the street, name three Baltimore Orioles players, and they can't name one. So the fact that they're, you know, in the position they are over 500, they've just been playing incredible baseball with virtually nothing. Um, and Atlanta is on fire. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like both sides of New York this year. They were like, well, we got it in the bag. Going to be a Subway Series this year. And Atlanta's about to say, I don't think so. You know, Baltimore I, Baltimore is an interesting case because of the trade deadline. What was most notable about them is that they weren't buying. They were selling. They're selling their biggest names at the trade deadline. Right. You know, they trade Mancini to the, um, to the Astros. And everyone's like, you just trade him to an American League rival? Like, what? A team that's already in first place is going to win the division and, you know, is the favorite practice of the World Series? Yeah. And look at where they're at, you know? So, absolutely. Now, for, for me, I, I'll tell you this right now. This is a team who I – when they last made the playoffs, I was in first grade, and I'm 27 now. Yeah. It is the Seattle Mariners, the longest postseason drought in pro sports. We're not talking just baseball. We're talking all the big four and probably soccer and everything else. The longest drought, the Seattle Mariners. Now, this is why they are 12 games back of the Houston Astros, which doesn't surprise anybody because the Astros are just unbelievable. But they have been incredible at home. 
They've already won 32 games at home. The young group that this team has with Julio Rodriguez, Eugenio Suarez, Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo, Sam Haggerty. Um, I, I'm also a big fan of Jesse Winker. Um, yeah, and then you got J.P. Crawford. It's Cincinnati West. It, it, <laughs> right. It, it, right. It practically is, but unlike Cincinnati, Seattle's still winning because guess what? And remember, Cincinnati- they – they acquired Luis Castillo from Cincinnati at the trade deadline. Right. They did. They really helped bolster their pitching rotation. And right now, um, they're the second wild card team. If the season ended today, because I'm surprised, believe it or not, remember how it felt like eons ago the Yankees had their 70th win? Right. Well, there are 76 <laughs> wins right now. Yeah. So it kind of shows you how far they've come along. But the Rays are 67 and 55. And right behind them is the Mariners at 67 and 57. Um, you, know what's, you know what's funny so, about the Yankees' downfall? It almost coincides with Matt Carpenter getting hurt. Yep. Matt Carpenter, to me, would have been comeback player of the year. I, Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. He would have been, and he should have been. I think, actually, that might be one of the most heartbreaking pieces of news from this whole season is Matt well, Carpenter. Jeremy, you and I had talked about it. We were glad that it happened right after the series when they came through St. Louis instead of yeah. before. Yeah. Right. Because that was one of the most heartfelt moments seeing that ovation he got. Now, do you think that with Carpenter out, I mean, it's not impossible for him to win the most valuable player anymore or not most valuable player shit i wish no um comeback player of the year it's not impossible but do you see there being a chance albert pujols could win comeback player of the year wow i'm gonna defer here i i mean i can see it i don't know if they'll they'd give it to him um I don't know that he's played enough to get it. They're usually going to look for somebody that's more on a full-time basis, but I can't think of anybody else that it would be really. Um, it'd be pretty cool if he got it. That'd be a way to go out to have huh. the, uh, have a reliever of the year. Cause I feel like if it's not Edwin Diaz, it's going to be Helsley. Yep. So Helsley. you could possibly have the reliever of the year. You could have the MVP in Goldie. Yep. You could have the triple crown um, winner if he yeah. If he, you could possibly have the triple crown the eyes up. Yeah. yeah, and then you could have comeback player of the, uh, of the yeah. year on there. You could have three award winners right there. And if if, if Wayno didn't have just one run of support each start, he would also have himself a good case for Cy Young because he actually pitches very well and has good wins. One run on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, they'll, no they'll, they'll probably have about 18 gold gloves this year too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Give the whole team, give the whole team just a giant gold glove. Yeah. And like, it, it's unbelievable the defense this team has. And I think every game, it just proves one. If, it, if the, each game that passes by proves one more thing to me, it's that Tommy Edmonds should have been an all-star. Yeah. That's just what Absolutely. proves. Well, Sadie, I got one more question for you for, because I know we got a part two, so I'm going to think of one good baseball question to close it on. Okay. All right. So, growing up, who was your favorite team? Growing up, because you said you were born in Chicago and everything, grew up in Chicago. Yeah. Growing up, who was your favorite baseball team? 
And who was your least favorite? I mean, that's it's, I'm from the south side of Chicago, so the White Sox are my favorite team, and I hate the Cubs. Perfect. The, <laughs> the worst day of the year for me is the day the Cubs win their first game every season because my dream of them going 0-162 is killed. Perfect. Oh, oh, my gosh. Okay, that might be the first time I've actually ever heard that. That is beautiful. <laughs> Well, see, that's where we know a little bit more. You started the show knowing about the man known as Sadie Blaze. Then we got into the big baseball chunk. But, of course, folks, there's a lot more to talk about. And, unfortunately, we can't all do it one week. What what better way to end a show than to have a cliffhanger? That's the way I like it. Sadie We'll catch you next week. Thank you so much for being on, buddy. Sounds good. Appreciate it. I'm Ladies glad you're here. Sadie, Play, Sadie Blaze here live on Roundabout Sports presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media. Love you, man. We'll talk to you Thank soon, you. okay? Great. Thank you. Yeah. What an absolutely amazing guy in so many ways. I tell that was you. was fun. I, I told you from, uh, from the get-go that we were going to be mind-blown, and you, you knew – this was going to be a, more than a one-parter. You predicted it. And this is the thing. Sadie's one of the guys that you could just chill back with, spend a day talking about just all things baseball. Right. Um, and cards and sports and wrestling with. And that's part of what next week is going to be coming to. So, ladies and gentlemen, the bla- this week was – I titled the show Blaze of Glory. Perfect. For all you Bon Jovi fans out there. Um, or I guess for all the Sadie Blaze fans out there too. And next week we're coming right back at you with more Sadie Blaze, where we get to know even more about the man himself and the man inside the squared circle, as well as out of it. James, once again, has been an absolute pleasure having working alongside you this week, and always having you on alongside me. You know, always. folks, you can find us on Facebook at Interstate 70 Sports Media and Roundabout Sports. You can find myself at Sportsfan one on Twitter and on the Interstate 70 Sports Media official Twitter. And you can find James at... Uh, JC underscore Knox 80 on Twitter and then uh, James Knox on Twitter or on Facebook, rather. Perfect. And you can find us on Interstate 70 Sports Media on our official YouTube channel where we have... The Strike Zone, we have Roundabout Sports episodes. We're going to get even more content up there. Talking Dynasty is going to boot up soon. Um, don't forget Cardinals Off the Cuff starting, starring uh, Andy Cockerell. The amazing work. And also be sure to check out the guys at the Wrestle Talk podcast every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock Central Standard Time. When you got the night out, Renee, you got Nightmare Jones, Luke Skywalker Roberts, Big Sexy Chris Rodell, Sunny Money Mayo, the Maestro Myself, or Hardcore Hoss, it's one show you never want to miss. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. But before we let you go, of course, as always, we like to close and put up our very special hotlines because in the world we live in today, mental health issues need to give more, have more attention given to them. You know, and if you struggle with any type of mental health, issue or you feel like you need someone to talk to call the NAMI hotline at 
1-800-950-NAMI. It's 1-800-950-NAMI. It's always, the line's always open 24-7, 365. And of course, we as we always close the show, we have the Suicide Awareness and Crisis Lifeline. Used to be a full long phone number, but now they've dialed it down, no pun intended, to just 988. And it's open 24-7, 365, 366 on leap years. And we we cannot stress enough. I, we, all of us cannot stress enough that you are never alone in the world. There is always someone out there that loves you, that cares about you, that wants to listen, that can listen and will. Um, you know, I know it's hard. Never be afraid to go out and just find that support and reach out to somebody when you're struggling. So thank you so much for choosing to spend your Wednesday night with us. We look forward to having you back on next week. This for part two of Blaze of Glory. With that, I am the maestro, Jeremy Carp. I don't know who I am anymore. He doesn't know who he is anymore. He has some identity crisis issues. You there know. you go. So there you go. It's just at the bottom. That's Hollywood James Knox. I'm the Jeremy Carp. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, life is a book full of empty pages just waiting to be written in. Make your lives worth reading. Good night, everybody.